is gathered in this place just now. And Lord, I pray that you do a work, a mighty work. I pray that if there's anyone here this evening that is not saved, that tonight they'd understand the gospel and they would be saved. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we delve into this very important matter of Scripture, that our lives would be changed and our hearts would be challenged. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you because we ask this in Jesus' precious and marvelous name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 24, I draw your attention to what the Bible says beginning in verse number 10. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his work? It was 1921, in the time when many, many missionaries were going to places around the world, a missionary couple named David and Zvia Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa to what was then called the Belgian Congo and now is referred to as Zaire. They met up with another young Scandinavian couple, the Eriksons, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to go out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area. This was a huge step of faith. At the village of Ndolera, they were rebuffed by the chief who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to go half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for some kind of spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact that they had was with, with one young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Zvi Flood, a tiny woman of only four foot eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. In time, the Ericsons decided they had had enough suffering and they left to return to the central mission station. David and Zvia Flood remained near Ndolera to go on alone. Then, of all things, Zvia found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief allowed her to uh, use a local midwife. A little girl was born whom they named Aina. The delivery, however, was very exhausting and Zvia Flood was already weak from bouts of malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her own physical stamina and she lasted only another 17 days. Inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and took his children back down the mountain to the mission station, giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons. He snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. 
There's something about our own lives that has a limit. And we just feel like we can't go on. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can't go on unless we lean on a strength that's much greater than our own. Unless we lean on the one who has designed it to be that through our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Now I want to preach to you tonight on the subject, rescue the perishing. And I want us to see from Proverbs and from other passages of Scripture how vital it is that we see there's no way we can accomplish this enormous and essential task unless we lean on the strength of the Lord. Look at what the Bible says again in Proverbs 24 and verse 10. It says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his work? Now in this passage of Scripture, I see three divisions that will help us to see our need right now to rescue the perishing and to see that we cannot accomplish this task unless we lean on the Lord daily for strength. Really, the Bible says in verse number 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Now, this speaks first of a soft character. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Again, there is soft character in this passage because our need is to have strength. We can't go on without it. But where strength is, there is going to be a test. And it's going to test the limits of our strength and our character. Someone said the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. And I believe that to be the case. Here the Bible says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And so he's challenging those that are reading to have a renewed strength, have a renewed character. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us, that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now the idea of faint in the Bible will sometimes refer to an actual physical fainting, but more or less it will refer to giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel, throwing up the flag of surrender to the enemy and saying, I just quit. I'm tired of it all. I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of have to dealing with having to deal with, with, with all these people and all these problems. I'm just tired of, of the trouble and the struggle. I'm just tired of the, it all. I quit. I spoke to a man that stopped by today and he had grown up in Rapid City, South Dakota and he had, uh, he'd grown up in Rapid and he was, he, he was struggling and, and he had had a, uh, upbringing in a Christian home and in a Bible preaching church and, and then he, his dad died in a hunting accident. He had two brothers, and he and his two brothers grew up, and, and his mom just couldn't handle raising them by herself, so she handed them off to the state. And, and uh, he, he was so, so troubled, he didn't know how he was going to make it. He had a lot of questions and doubts and struggles. His one brother went into the Marines and died and was killed in Fallujah, Iraq. And, and so in the course of conversation, he said, I just, you know, I've just come to have a lot of doubts about God and a lot of questions about God, and I just give up. A lot of people do. A lot of people see these problems and these difficulties and these hardships, and, and, and they, just, they just want to give up. They, they faint. Now, now, I'll tell you, you shouldn't faint. 
And I'm going to tell you something. One of the first people that's going to show up when you have troubles and you have struggles is the devil. And he's going to give you his calling card and his professional counsel. How do you suppose he's going to counsel you? For the Lord or against the Lord? For the will of God or against the will of God? I told this man, I said, what if me and a, a, another person showed up at your door and when I knocked on the door, you opened the door and said, hey, Dwight, good to see you. And the other person standing next to me punched you right in the face. You, you reel back and you kind of come to and, and you, you look at him and you look at me and you look at him and you look at me and you blame me. I said, would that be fair? He said, well, now that you put it that way, he said, not really. I said, that's what you're doing. The devil's the one that's hit you with troubles and trials and difficulties, and you blame the Lord? And I said, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He's the one hitting you in the face, and then he's blaming the Lord and trying to get you to do the same. By the way, there are some troubles and trials that you'll face in your life there may never be an answer for. I'm not trying to be cold. Hear me carefully. I'm not trying to be callous towards your troubles and your difficulties. I was preaching in in California, and I went into a, a went to get breakfast in, in the hotel, and I went back up to my room. And when I got to my room, I noticed that the door was ajar, and the little deadbolt was was there to keep it ajar. And I said, "I didn't leave the door ajar." And I approached the door closely and carefully, and I noticed there was no maid service cart there. And I opened the door just a little bit, and I looked in and. There on the credenza or the dresser, there was a plate of food with a bagel and cream cheese. I said, I didn't leave a bagel and cream cheese in there. And I opened the door a little ways and I got in and there was a man sitting on the bed. And then I realized it. I was in the wrong room. I said, oh, no. I said, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And I, I backed out of there. Now, now, to my credit, it was just one floor lower. So anyway, everything looked the same. And so I said, I, I'm so sorry. I'm in the wrong place. So I got out of there and I, I went over to the steps and I got up the steps. And the guy followed me. His name was Tony. And uh, Tony was so friendly. He was just striking up a conversation. He was up there from Southern California. And, and uh he started to tell me about his life. I asked him if he knew for sure he was going to heaven. or if He, he said, oh, I've, I've grown up in church. He said, I, I went to church a lot. And then he started telling me the story. He, he, had, uh, he, he had been married to the love of his life, got married, and in her 30s, she contracted cancer and died. Left, her with, left him with two little girls to raise. He's telling me this in tears, so brokenhearted about it all. And he said, you know, he said, I, I just, I, I don't know. He said, I raised those two daughters. Now the one was married and the other one had just been asked to marry. So he said, now I'm going to lose my, my little baby. And he said, I'm going to be all in that big house all by myself. About five years after he, his first wife died, he married. And uh, married a, a lady that, that had, a, had a son. And a few years after they, they were married, she asked for a divorce. He said, I just gave up on so why did that happen? I said, Tony, let's go over here and sit down. So we sat down in this little seating area. I said, Tony, I have a sister that's in heaven now. She was 44 when she died. She had 11 children. Nine of them were still at home when she died. She died of cancer. Fought it for four years. I said, if you were to ask me why that happened, I'd say, I don't know. Uh, maybe you know. 
I said, I have a cousin and her husband and two of their three children died in a single car wreck in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Left one remaining sibling, daughter. We'll probably see her Saturday. I said, why did that happen? I said, I said, I, I don't know why that happened. And I said, the truth is, I don't know why this happened with your wife. Why this trouble's coming to your life. I said, but Tony, if you do find the answer and somebody does come to you and gives you the answer, I said, what possible answer could they give you that you'd say, oh, that's why my wife died and that's why the suffering happened. That's why the trouble came. Okay, on with life. I said, would there ever be such an answer? I said, probably not. But I said, Tony, if you find the answer and you don't answer the world's most important question, what must I do to be saved? You'll be in a heap of trouble. I said, Tony, has there ever been a time when you've come to Jesus as a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner and called upon Christ and asked him to save you and pay your sin debt entirely? He hung his head and he said, no. I said, that's what you need to do today. And right there in that hotel, he bowed his heart and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. You know what he did? He found the answer to life's most important question. And I don't know if the Lord's answered his question about his wife since then. He may, he may not. Some of you have been through trouble. Some of you have been through trouble that if you were to testify to it tonight, we'd all hang our heads and weep with you. I'll tell you, if you'll answer the most important question, what must I do to be saved, and then seek the Lord, whether he gives you an answer or not, for all the other problems, it'll give you strength to move on and not to faint. Now, he says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Now, you got your fingers ready to turn pages in the Bible? Turn back, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40, would you? Isaiah chapter 40 in the Word of God. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 28. Isaiah 40 and verse number 28. The Bible says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Isn't that wonderful? The one who does not faint gives power to those who do faint. The one who cannot faint gives power to those of us who do faint. Hey, anybody here that thinks there's just the ever, uh, the everlasting bunny, the, 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 the energizer bunny, just still going, still going, still going. Now, I've got some kids like that, but I'm long past that point in my life. But if you think that you've got the everlasting uh, energizer battery in you and you're all right, I'll never faint, will you just come into some circumstances and come see me when you're done? Because I'll tell you, there'll be points in your life when you'll come to the total limit of your resources and your ability to go on and to move forward. Nothing in life makes sense. Nothing in life seems to matter. I don't know why. I'll just give up. You'll feel like that. And I'll tell you, when you get to that point, and every day before then, you need to lean upon the one who does not faint. Watch it, verse number 29. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's the Bible saying? The Bible saying he is the one that gives power to the faint. And this is not the only place that he does this. The scripture talks about this in the book of in the book of Jonah, how he cries out and says, my soul fainted within me. I'm at the end of my resources. I'm at the end of my of my ability and my power. Paul said, when we realize the Lord is has given us his ministry. He says, for which cause, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 16, for this which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. I was talking to a young man earlier this week on the phone, and he's a young man that I believe God has called to preach. He lives in Missouri, and he's still in high school. And uh, He said, oh, Brother Dwight, he says, sometimes it gets discouraging and trying to stand for the Lord. I said, it does get discouraging, but you look to the Lord and trust in the Lord. And I said, remember this, everything that is seen is upheld by something that is unseen. Everything. Everything that is seen is upheld by something that is unseen. This building here is upheld by an unseen foundation. Those beautiful trees that landscape this property and your house that bear beautiful fruit and beautiful leaves in the spring and the fall, they are upheld by an unseen root system. Every good character that is seen is upheld by an inward character and the inner man being renewed on a day-by-day basis. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. You see, if I have weak character, and all of us have a a limit to our character and our ability and our own strength, we've got to lean upon His mercy. Seeing we have received mercy, we faint not. Paul said it this way, I went to the Lord and asked Him three times to take away this thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and 12. And the Lord said, no, I won't do it. We believe that His thorn in the flesh was likely something wrong with His eyes because He saw the Lord on the road to Damascus and it blinded him for three days before the Lord restored his sight. And, and, and the scripture says that when he wrote, he wrote with big letters. And in another portion of scripture, it says that he was uncomely to look at. He was powerful in speech, but he was un, in letter, but he was uncomely to look at in presence. Now it's probably something with his eyes constantly running, asking, uh, asking Timothy to bring the parchments in. And he wrote, he wrote with big letters. Why? Because it was likely something with his eyes. Lord, please take away this eye problem. The thing that Saul of Tarsus had depended upon before he was saved, his own strength and his own ability to see and to conclude a matter was gone and was always waning. Lord, I could serve you so much better if I had good sight. Please restore my sight. Take away this thorn in the flesh. Lord said, no, I won't do it. He said, Lord, if you wouldn't mind, please take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, I won't do it. He asked him again, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. He said, no. He said, I won't do it. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, we think that strength is made perfect in strength. So we go and we bodybuild and we work out. Uh, well, some do. And uh, we go and we try to increase strength. No pain, no gain. We try to increase our strength. And the Lord says, I want to increase your weakness so that I can increase my strength. You see, if it's about my strength, then there's no room for his strength. 
But if I have a limited and a, a, a minimal amount of strength and I depend upon the Lord, all of a sudden he can help me. By the way, that's not only true in my daily tasks, in what God has called me to do and to be, but that's true, ladies and gentlemen, in this matter of temptation. When temptation comes your way, you say, Preacher, I, I've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed again and again. Lord, what do I do? And the Lord says, rest in my strength. Otherwise, you're going to faint. Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Ephesians 3 and verse 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Hebrews chapter number 12, the Bible speaks about the Lord Jesus who uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he says in first Hebrews 12, 3, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Mm. Now my fourth son, Andrew, uh, he was not born in the hospital. He was born in the truck on the side of the road, actually in the gas station parking lot at about 1.45 in the morning. Uh, in March, uh, March 31st. I'm so glad uh, it wasn't April 1st because nobody would have believed the story. And so so uh, we, we were on our way to the, the birthing center and we were hoping to make it. And, and I was real positive with my wife, honey, we're going to make it. And so she was having some really bad contractions and uh, we got her in and uh, we're heading down the road and uh, all of a sudden her water broke. We went across the Broad River on 150, headed into South Carolina and her water broke. And here, the eternal optimist, I said, honey, I said, we're going to make it. She said, we are not going to make it. You pull this truck over right now, we're going to have this baby. But there's no place to pull it over. Uh, you coming into South Carolina with a bunch of rednecks. I'm telling you the truth. And I was thinking I'd pull into a driveway somewhere and somebody would be coming out, locking and loading. You know what I'm saying? We'd have some real problems there. And so I didn't know what to do. And so I called 911 and I pulled off into a gas station parking lot that was closed. From the time I called, got out of the truck, walked around till the baby was born was two minutes. From the time I called, got out of the truck, the baby was born, got back in the truck and drove was four minutes. Now, 911 didn't help me at all. I think they were having somebody in training at that time of the morning. I told them five times exactly where I was. I couldn't, the GPS couldn't have gotten them there better coordinates than what I gave them. And, and they, didn't, they didn't know. I think they didn't believe me at first that this was really happening. I didn't believe it at first. And this was what I was thinking when I was walking around the front of the truck. I'm not good when I see blood. I am going to faint fast away. My wife is going to have to have this baby pull me into the truck and drive herself to the hospital. Now, I'll tell you, it was just the grace of God that that didn't happen. I had to pull the cord from around his neck. He was born. It was just an absolute miracle. And we're still praising the Lord that he doesn't have a third eyeball right there in the middle of his head. You know, but but, but ladies and gentlemen, fainting physically at a time of great need is much less than fainting spiritually at a time of great need. Are you listening? There are some here tonight who are just about to faint. Just about to give up. You better yield to the Lord. 
You better defer to His strength. You better take that default setting in your heart and turn it over to the Lord's strength. Because if you don't, you will faint. Number one, there is a soft character. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Go back to Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 11. Draw your attention, please, to what the Bible says in verse number 11. He says, if thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. Watch this. Number two, not only do I see soft character, but number two, I see selfish choices. Selfish choices. First, to forbear. That is to withhold. If I forbear to deliver them, if I withhold deliverance from them that are drawn unto death, if I refuse to deliver them that are drawn unto death, that's the idea behind the word forbear. If I forbear, I hold back. I keep myself from delivering them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. Who would do that? Someone who's selfish. Kind of like the Levite who walked by and saw the, good, the, the man taken by thieves and beaten and left for dead and robbed. And the Levite came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. The priest came and he looked, got a little closer, passed by on the other side. Watch it. People who could have done something about it. People who were assigned the task and the responsibility of caring for those in need passed by on the other side. And who did God use? A good Samaritan. Some of you that are in this room, you men need to study out the word Samaritan in the Bible. Wow, it's a powerful study. You find a good Samaritan in the book of Luke. Then you find a glad or a grateful Samaritan in the book of Luke. And you find a going Samaritan in the book of John chapter 4. A Samaritan. Do you know what a Samaritan was? A mix between Jew and Gentile. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Gentiles weren't all that glad about the Samaritans either. But it was a Samaritan that God chose to tell the story of someone who would come to this man in need, get down on his knees, nurse his wounds, lift him up, put him on his donkey, take him to a nearby inn, pay for his healing, and say whatever else accrues as far as his medical debts, put it on my account. Now, why wouldn't we do that? We who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who was our good Samaritan. Why wouldn't we do what Jesus did in coming to those in need? There's only one reason. Selfish choices. Selfish choices. He says, if thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death. Do you know they tell us that you can be held accountable if you know of a crime that is being committed and you do not report it. Why? There's blood on your hands. Ephesians or the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. The Bible says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. If He says, if when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, and his blood will I require at thine hand. You said, preacher, you mean I'm going to be held responsible if someone near me doesn't get saved? If you could reach them with the gospel and you don't? That's exactly what I mean. 
You say, preacher, aren't they ultimately going to be held responsible? Of course they are. But you have the cross. You have the message of salvation. You have the message that it's only through faith in Christ. You have the message that it's only by believing on Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again, that you'll be saved. And you don't give them that message? Because, what was it again? You're too busy? Well, what was it again? You don't really feel like you have that talent? of evangelism when the Bible never speaks of such a thing? What was it again? The reason why you couldn't or wouldn't tell the person across the street or the lady that you work with or the guy that you that, that you see on a regular basis at the gas station on your morning commute to work or the people that you live near? What was it again? The reason why you couldn't or shouldn't? Oh, 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 this world is dying because there are Christians who are filled with selfishness and won't. It's not my responsibility. Now, how many of you have been parents and you've tried to teach your children, hey, clean up your own mess. And then if you see some mess, take responsibility for it. How many of you trained your children that way? Can I see some parents here? Okay. All right. That's what we ought to do. Clean up your own mess. And then if you see some other mess, take responsibility for it. You know, I want to tell my children, the trash will not automatically jump into the trash can somebody's got to pick it up. You know, I watch my kids sometimes and they step right across or right on stuff that's on the floor that should be picked up. Am I the only parent that sees it? And I, and I watch it and I, I watch with disbelief because how could this happen? This kid is a smith. They should know better. <laughs> but somehow they just don't naturally know better. They have to be trained. And you know, we have to be trained because we think, well, it's not my responsibility. That's what Cain said. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, actually... Yes, you are. You mean I got to clean up my mess? And re- yes, yes. In fact, he says that we are to work with our hands. Let him labor with his hands that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so, in other words, I need to owe no man anything financially. Work with my own hands so that I can have barns and I can have all kinds of freedom and vacation. No, I'm to have so that I can have to give to him that needeth. In other words, God's saying this, my responsibility is to take care of my responsibility so that I can help others. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to take the responsibility of the people here in Brookings, South Dakota? I, I, I stand back in awe, absolute awe of the opportunity is at South Dakota State University. People from all over the state and some from around the world. Am I right? Coming here. In other words, you don't have to spend $1,000 get on a missions trip plane and head over to the foreign mission field. You can go right down the street. And all. But you know, if nobody ever sees it, and nobody ever seizes it as their responsibility, there'll be countless dozens and hundreds and thousands of university students that slip into a Christless eternity because we forbeared to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. I remember several years ago, I was traveling down a highway. It was the main highway that led up from uh, Ohio up past Toledo, up, up into Michigan. And we were just coming underneath a viaduct or a bridge when all of a sudden we saw this I think it was a milk tanker that was taking a clover leaf and it was taking it a little too fast and it tipped over. 
And we pulled off to the side. We jumped out. There were a bunch of us guys in the van. We ran across several lanes of traffic. Somebody jumped in. There were other cars that were stopping. There was another car that stopped and pulled out a phone and began to call. And uh, somebody reached in the semi and pulled the red lever and the yellow lever so there would be a stop of gas flow. And, and we got the guy out and away. Immediately, several people were trying to rescue. That's what we ought to be doing. It ought to be as natural for a Christian as breathing, reaching out and helping. And so when we don't, it is the height of anti-Christian. It is the height of selfishness. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, we can rescue. We've been rescued. We know how to rescue, and yet we won't rescue. But watch the selfish choices continue in verse number 11. Verse 12, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. You know, it's one thing not to do right. It's another thing to lie about it. And here in this passage of Scripture, they did what was wrong. They refused to help someone that was dying, ready to be slain, perishing, and they did not rescue. And then they said, we didn't know. That's selfish. That's not selfless. That's selfish. And it has no part in a Christian's life who's a part of Bible Baptist Church in Brooklyn, South Dakota. There ought to be a regular attendance to this matter of getting out the gospel. The track rack ought to be regularly emptied and replenished. There ought to be a regular attempt, however it is gone about, there ought to be a regular attempt of getting the gospel out. You used to preach your why so we can have a bigger church and we can have more people. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know why? So that people don't die and go to hell. I just talked to a pastor friend of mine tonight in Minnesota over in Rochester and his church bought a tent, 20 by 40. 10. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take that tent to a bunch of cities right around Rochester and preach the gospel in the summer. I say, glory to God. Go, go for it, preacher. Go for it with all that you've got. Because you know there are cities all around this area of South Dakota, over into Minnesota, down into Iowa. You say, preacher, we're even supposed to reach the people from Iowa? Yep. <laughs> and you can go into little towns all over and you can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of those towns will not sustain a church, but they need to hear the gospel. They need someone to go there with the gospel. And this church could do it. Now, I'm not saying it's all going to happen at once, but it could happen one at a time. And what a blessing it would be if some town heard the gospel. And some. And I believe this. There are people in those towns who are praying and crying out, Oh, someone's come. Oh, God, would you send someone? We went to Newport News this year with our Victory Gospel Crusade. And you know what we found? We had a, a man ready. Uh, there was a church in the area that had, had, had a young man that had come up through the ranks. He'd gone off to Bible college. He went out in the ministry. And now he was ready to start a church. And it was just a perfect timing kind of thing. And he was ready, Ben and Ashley Webster, to go to Newport News and start the Newport News Baptist Church. And as we began to tell people we're having a gospel crusade and we're starting a church from it, you know what we had two or three people say? We've been praying for years that this kind of a church would come to this area. I believe that's more often than we would even know. And so when we don't go, and then when we say, well, we didn't know. We didn't know that there were people in the area that were dying and going to hell. We didn't know. What a tragedy. What selfishness. Did you know that the Reformed Calvinist churches in South Africa for years, I'm talking decades and even centuries, refused to witness to the black men and women in South Africa because they did not deem them part of the elect. That's wicked. The Moravian, the Moravians found out about it and they in two months had missionaries ready 
supported and en route to support or to preach the gospel to the people of South Africa. You know what you have? A contrast between selfishness and selflessness. Number one, there's soft character. Number two, there are selfish choices. But quickly, I want you to notice the serious conclusion. Watch verse 12. If thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And, and he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? All right, think for a moment of the serious consequences if I do not take the gospel that has been entrusted to me for whatever reason, because I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm ready to faint. If I don't lean on God's strength and I do lean on my own selfish choices to say, I'm not too busy or interested in that. and I'm not my brother's keeper. And, and if God calls me to account, I say, well, I didn't know it. Here's the answer that God gives in Proverbs 24 and verse 12. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? This is what the Bible's saying. God knows our motive. God knows the truth. And someday, my dear friends, we will have to give an account to the Lord. Hey, you preacher, you're kind of uh, really prodding us along. I am. But guess what? You won't have to give an account to me. You see, pastor sometimes really prods us along. Yep. But guess what? You won't have to give an account to him. There's somebody with nail prints in his hands. You'll have to give an account to him. Why was it again you didn't go? Why was it again that you couldn't reach out? Wait before you answer. Just know He knows your motive. He knows the real reason. And anything you give that's an excuse, the skin of a reason, stuffed with a lie, won't hold water. I just think of what potential there is in this body that is before me right now to reach the area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What potential there is if someone will say, you know what, I'm not going to be like Cain. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. I'm not going to be like the Levite and the Pharisee. I'm going to be like the Good Samaritan and go out of my way to reach someone with the gospel. I'm going to go and I'm going to go right now. I just think of the potential that will happen if you'll say, I'm going to die to self and I'm going to honor the Lord and I'm going to keep plotting onward and I'm going to keep giving the gospel and I'm going to keep being what I ought to be for Christ. All the potential. It could be an epicenter just like a lot of attention has been drawn to Sioux Falls because of the tornado, wouldn't it be a blessing if the Lord's attention and the attention of churches and Christians everywhere would be drawn to Brookings, South Dakota because some people said, by God's grace, we're going to reach our neighbors with the gospel and our friends and the low accounts and the no accounts and the people that are on Skid Row and on the, uh, the people that are, that are uh, the up and outers and the down and outers. We're going to go with the gospel and die to self. Look here, there's no way you can do it unless you do. Die to self, die to my own wants, die to my own strength, die to my own ambitions, die to my own needs, die to my own agenda. Lord, use me to get the gospel. And am I speaking to someone here this evening who's grateful that someone did that on your account? Someone came to you, your dad, your mom, your granddad with the wonderful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh, what a difference Jesus has made. 
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't quit. Don't faint in the day of adversity. Rely on God's strength. Don't make selfish choices not to rescue and then to give a flimsy excuse as to why you didn't or why you won't. Realize the serious consequences that someday we'll give an account and we want to give an account with joy and not with grief. We want to give a crown, an account with a handfuls of crowns to cast at the nail-pierced feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Mr. Flood had gone back to Sweden Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. The baby was, Aina was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name from Aina to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States at age three. This family loved the little girl. They were afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them, so they decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral ministry, and that is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis, and there she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed. The Hursts enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth to a daughter and then a son. In time, her husband became a president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish religion, religious magazine appeared in her mailbox, and she to this day has no idea how it appeared in her mailbox. She didn't understand who sent it, and of course, she couldn't read the words, but as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. There, in a primitive setting, was a grave with a white cross on the grave. And on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight to a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. Well, what does this say, she demanded. What does this mean? The instructor summarized the story. Uh, it's about missionaries who had come to Ndolera long ago, the, the birth of a, a little white baby girl, the death of the young mother, uh, one little African boy who had been led to Christ and how after the missionaries had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. Uh, it says that, that he gradually won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ, and even the chief had become a Christian. Today, there are 600 Christian believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Zvia Flood. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift, a vacation to Sweden. Their Aggie sought to find her real father, an old man now. David flooded, remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with booze and alcohol. He recently suffered a stroke. Still bitter, he had one rule in his family, never mention the name of God. For God took everything from after an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can talk to him, even though he's very ill now, but you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie was not to be deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment with liquor bottles everywhere and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said carefully, 
he turned and began to cry. Aina, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. He stiffened, and the tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 African people serving the Lord in that village because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He's never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed to begin to talk and by the end of the afternoon he had come back to the God he had resented for so many years. Over the next few days, Father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband would return to America. And within a few weeks, David Flood would go into eternity. A few years later, the Hursts were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, where a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the national churches represented some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel's spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Zvia Flood. He said, yes, madam. His words translated from French to English. It was Zvia Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the little boy who brought chickens and eggs to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing hug, then continued, You must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In time, that's exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry her back down the mountain in a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks later that day. In the church, the pastor read from John 12, 24, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. You know what God's calling upon some Christians tonight to do before we go and rescue the perishing? Die. Die to self. Died her own strength. Died her own agenda. Died to our own wants and needs. Die. Won't be able to go on unless we die. We won't have any kind of impact unless we die. And we won't be able to rescue the perishing until we die. Lord, would you help us? Help us tonight to die to self and 